What's up, champs? Welcome to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Short Shifts Fantasy Hockey Podcast. I am your host, Ben Burnett, and joining me, as always, the talented Mr. E. Lewis Ezekiel. Lewis, my friend, how are you doing on this fine, fine, competitive Battle of the Buds matchup week in our Cupful division? Uh, as well as I can, as always, it's never super fun to have to go head to head with you. It just takes away some of the, uh, enjoyment of talking about, you know, who we should pick up and getting advice from each other and that sort of thing gets washed away in the, in the competitiveness here. So, uh, hoping for a great week, obviously, uh, you know, all the best to you, but I hope you come out on the losing end of things. And, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, it'll be a little less contentious, uh, between the two of us, I imagine, uh, come next week i feel like every week now this intro section is just you like slowly letting me know that we're not actually friends you know what i mean <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. we are we're colleagues who are engaged in mortal combat during this particular week <laughs> okay that's fair enough uh lewis let's get into the fantasy uh, elements of the show um and i guess we we have to talk, I think, about, well, there's several several big stories this week, obviously. Let's start with the one that's most recent, and that is the Tyler Toffoli trade announced Monday. Toffoli traded for a first-round pick, um, another later pick in the draft, as well as uh, one of the Pitlicks. I, I don't even remember which one, but... Uh, they're all see. over there now. Exactly. If you need yeah. one, they're in Montreal. Montreal's got, they're working on the Infinity Gauntlet uh, made up of Pitlicks. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that's the sort of vision that Mark Bergevin never could have carried out. So I'm glad that they've, uh, they brought in Jeff Gordon to complete the vision. Uh, in the meantime, though, I think that the uh, fantasy impact is mainly in Calgary. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about Montreal in a second, but looking at uh, Calgary, it looks like Tyler Toffoli will start out on line three with Dylan Dubé and Sean Monahan. We haven't seen what a power play orientation may look like yet in Calgary. I would guess that he gets a shot on that top power play unit, but I've also seen speculation that they used him on the second power play unit um and just keep monahan out there as a second option for faceoffs. Uh I do think that if that's the case then we're just looking at the Tyler Toffoli that we saw in LA for all those years who was you know like a 45 50 55 points in a good year type of guy uh but maybe not somebody who you're going to be picking around the top 100 in fantasy drafts. Of course last year he was on pace for like 40 goals. This year on pace for 58 points through 37 games on a terrible Montreal team. So I understand why the hype would start to build. Um Lewis, do you think that we see to fully move up the lines from here or or do you think that you know we're in for a middle six uh middle six adventure for tt in cgy so i think it is you know a little dangerous to speculate sometimes with these trades but i I, my guess is that Toffoli will work his way up the lineup you know there's a reason that he was leaned on in montreal and part of that reason is because of the total dearth of talent there and obviously that's not an issue uh, in calgary but i think he could certainly supplant uh coleman in that spot uh with backland and mangiapani um, and I think that could be, you know, an interesting spot. Certainly, uh, hopefully Backland, you know, will be able to, to continue to feed things around since, uh, Manjipani likes to shoot the puck and, and Toffoli does as well. Uh, and I would definitely like to see him on that f- first power play, if at all possible, if I'm a Toffoli owner, if I am invested in his success. Um, I think, I think you're right. I think there is reason to be cautious if he is not a top power play guy. 
um, you know, he is maybe bottom of the roster or waiver wire material if that's the case. So we'll have to see how things turn out. He's certainly not going to be the, the same level of focus as he was in Montreal, but the, the trade-off, of course, is that he's playing with a greater degree of quality. I think that that's a really good point. I, I do think that there's upside here, and I'm I'm definitely not advocating for folks to like get too down on Toffoli, like go out and drop him, try and trade him for whatever. I, I definitely think that if you have him on your team or if you're considering picking him up off the waiver wire, there's not a ton of risk here. Like worst case scenario, he it turns out that he is a bottom six guy and you cycle him back out. Um, ultimately, he definitely in some leagues, he's not going to capitalize on the uh, the draft assets that people gave up to pick him up this year just because, you know, probably he was overinflated based his totals last year were inflated based on being on the uh, Canadian division. Um, but ultimately, I do think he's a really talented player. And, and I think that there is an opportunity here in Calgary, whether or not we see him move up the lineup uh, onto the second or top line. I agree that we'll see some movement here. Uh, how could you not? play around with with what you have but for now it definitely seems like uh they're gonna they're gonna start this way i do think that if if he can supplant blake coleman i really kind of like it for andrew mangiapani who has an opportunity to uh see his line mates boost in both phases in power play and at even strength so so that's an interesting one um to me but let's hop over to montreal quickly i, I i'm not sure that there's much to say uh, I know that we did neglect to mention uh, Marty St. Louis hiring last week and spent the entire time instead talking about Jay Woodcroft. Um, I think that's because everyone would agree the Habs have felt like a, a dumpster fire it seems appropriate. And yeah, I think that was the right choice. But I am excited, I think, to see what comes from the like ashes of, of this Phoenix exploding. Um, probably a strong choice of word to, to call Montreal a Phoenix, but... I just think you get a new coach and you trade Tyler Toffoli, you open up a new spot on the top line, top power play. I'm just curious to see, like, this. there is a new opportunity when God closes a Tyler Toffoli-shaped door, he opens a line one on a bad team window. So I, I'm not saying, like, get super hype, but there is a possibility that with a new coach, with a new opportunity that there there could be some movement in Montreal and there could be somebody who who winds up being valuable. I'm just not entirely sure who that's going to be. Yeah, well, we've already seen Caulfield come alive a little bit here uh, in, in a new situation. So I think that's a positive development, certainly for him. And I think it's good for, you know, hockey in general. We want to see Cole Caulfield be, be successful. Um, so, you know, yeah, I think there are definitely players to keep an eye on. Some of those uh, top-line players that even weren't really rostering maybe during the, the really grim days of this season, uh, you know, maybe worth a second look. I, I, think, I think you're right to say we don't need to be in a place any longer where we are just discounting the Canadians out of hand. Uh, just because, you know, with Marty St. Louis in there and with, you know, some, some revived uh, aims and, and with a new coach to impress, you could see some players go on a bit of a run uh, in a way that maybe they were not uh, in the most dreadful period of uh, the Ducharme days. Absolutely, Lewis. Uh, let's hop over to Vegas next. And let's talk about the player who we've mentioned the most who has played the fewest games this season. Uh, and that's Jack Eichel, set to make his Vegas debut on Wednesday. 
There's actually a few things to talk about in Vegas, but let's talk about Vegas's lines now that we have heard confirmation that Jack Eichel will play in his Vegas debut on Wednesday. Vegas looks to be putting out a lineup of Pacioretty, Eichel, and Dodonoff on line one, Yanmark, William Carlson, and Riley Smith on line two, and a third line of Jonathan Marcheseau, Chandler Stevenson, and Nicholas Wah. Um, I know that Brian and Elon had talked about Chandler Stevenson and, and what what my, he's been on a bit of a cold streak. Um, we've seen him start to maybe there's been some concern that maybe he's going to fall out of favor with Eichel's return. I'm at least a little bit happy for him to see Marcia. So stick with him at even mm-hmm. strength. I think it's good to see sort of three lines where there's there's at least two players that you can say are like the offensive anchors. But I, I also think you look at this power play, you see Nolan Patrick, uh, Netfront, and then Eichel, Dodonov, Pacioretty, and Theodore. We've obviously talked Eichel to death, and you're excited if he's on your squad. I, I, I truly have nothing more to say about Jack Eichel at this point. But when I look at the, this, this lineup, I cannot help but feel a, a little bit interested in Evgeny Dodonov for the first time and. Well over a year, obviously, you know, expectations not through the roof or anything, given how mediocre he's been since leaving Florida and even in that last year in Florida. But you could tell me just about any player is on a wing with Patches and Eichel at even strength and on the power play, and I'd at least raise my eyebrow. What do you think about Dodonov? Yeah, you know, he is probably going to have his, or certainly going to have his best deployment since uh, his heyday in Florida. Um, you know, when he started to fall off, he also lost out on some of his deployment, uh, eventually. So yeah, I think this, this does represent a solid spot for him. He hasn't been especially spectacular at, you know, uh, driving play on his own, but it has seemed like, you know, he's able to produce when he is given the opportunity with high skilled line mates. And it seems like that's going to be the case, at least temporarily. Just like we talked about with Calgary, I do think this is very much subject to change. You know, we're very excited to see these early potential lines, but you know, I think, I think while Stone is injured, Patches and Eichel are the pair. And then you're just thinking about third wheels and we may see some rotation through there. I also thought the Patrick deployment was pretty interesting. It's not. Super often you see a fourth line power play one player, you know, who's going to be seeing pretty limited minutes, but getting that prime power play deployment as kind of a specialist Uh, and especially playing net front. That's sort of an all or nothing position. So, you know, could be interesting, uh, you know, the kind of player you might stream in if you're hoping to hit a home run here. Um, but you know, uh, buyer beware. Certainly he's going to be probably playing, uh, slim minutes. Uh, and really, that power play is going to be his only opportunity to score. But in those really deep leagues, you know, if you are, especially if you're chasing categories and you need goals or power play points, that kind of stands out to me as kind of interesting just because, you know, he's been very unremarkable and he must be available, uh, widely available. Um, so just one more to sort of think about there. Would it shock you to know that he's been power play one for like, you know, a quarter of the season or so? Like he, he's he's had a fair shake up there. I think it's just noted like I think we're just noticing it or talking about it for the first time because Vegas's power play has been so dreadful all season. And I think that I, I appreciate you bringing it up in particular because I do think that, you know, we talk about a power play being terrible. Like I, I think back to like Nashville in years prior Getting a player like Jack Eichel on your team has the chance to fully shake up 
you know, fully go from a bad power play to a good one. And so, yeah, I think that that's a, a very fair point where it's like, I, I, I think that, you know, Nolan Patrick to me is way further down my radar. He, he is playing on the fourth line, um, not getting a ton of minutes, playing like 10, 12 minutes a night. But definitely uh, you wouldn't be shocked to find out that he has a much better second half on that top power play unit than he has, you know, being up and down the two power play units since arriving in Vegas. Yeah, and no question you would want to give Dodonov a try before you take a look at Patrick, you know. Um, you know, I think there are, there are a whole lot of leagues where, where Dodonov should be interesting. And if you can hold on to that spot and if you've got a streamer spot, that's a great place to put him in. I know you've been doing that. Uh, and probably I uh, could tell from the tone of my voice when I was having that discussion earlier. I am certainly surprised to find that he was there. Um, but you know, also not surprised to see that, uh, Patrick I'm talking about, uh, has not been super productive given, uh, you know, the injury woes that they've been experiencing in Vegas for most of the season. We'll talk a little bit more about some players in Vegas and some injury issues coming up. You're listening to Short Shifts. Welcome back to Short Shifts. And Lewis, I'm going to pop it right back over to you because there are a few other injuries in Vegas that, that we probably need to talk about and maybe just as big news as anything else that we've talked about on the show tonight. But it's just such an it's it's an injury packed show, I guess. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, we were talking about how that Vegas power play has kind of struggled throughout the year and no real surprise since we haven't seen its best incarnation uh, for much of the season with all of the injuries to players like Pacioretty and Stone. Uh, And of course, Jack Eichel's return was made possible by Stone's move to long-term injured reserve. We don't have any confirmation yet on how long he will miss time, uh, but with Stone on long-term injured reserve and the possibility that he remains there until playoffs time uh, in a Kucherov-type move, uh, we talked about this a little bit last week and we were pretty bearish on Stone's prospects. Have, has anything changed for you? Yeah, I mean, having him actually go on LTIR is is a, f- a fairly sizable change, I'd say. I mean, we're seeing confirmation that where there was smoke, there is now fire. Stone is at least going to miss, you know, 10 game. I think it's 10 games or three weeks. I, I haven't checked or I, I can't check at this moment, but um yeah, so I think that Stone's value tanks pretty severely because we still don't know when he's likely to return. Um, do I think he returns before the end of the season? Hell no, because it, what's the upside for Vegas? They're cruising in their division. We talked about it last week. They're, they're, they have good reason to do this um, if they can get away with it, and it seems like they're going to. So, no, I think that this is a, a wonderful development for Vegas. How fortunate for them that they can stash their captain and just go over the cap in the playoffs when it really matters. Right. So, yeah, I think the strategy here is I think if you can stash him on your injured reserve and it's not all full up. And and fortunately, it seems like we've kind of come out of the other side of having, you know, tons of people in in COVID uh, IR and that sort of thing. So uh, hopefully there's room for him just on the off chance that he comes back. But if there's no room for him or if you need to start making moves and make room, yeah, I would not have any problem with, uh, you know, taking that chance and letting Stone go, just stay sharp and pay attention to the news and see, you know, if there's any indication that he's coming back. But like you said, I think that's very doubtful. I thought it was doubtful last week before it was officially announced. You know, I was pretty out on Stone as uh, a potential contributor down the line. So 
Yeah, I'm with you. I think that this is uh, unfortunate very much for anyone who spent a higher pick on him. Uh, you know, he spent so much of the season injured and now it looks like uh, just for cap relief purposes slash, you know, healing up. Certainly you don't want to play with a seized up back. And I totally understand why he, you know, has legitimate reason to not be playing right now. But it conveniently works out very well for the Knights as well. Um, and we should talk about the other big injury in Vegas, and that is to Robin Leonard, who is listed first as day-to-day, but now is officially injured, believed to be a torn labrum that may require surgery. Uh, he has had a similar injury in the past and come back, but you always have to be a little bit concerned about repeat injuries. I don't know if it's necessarily to the same shoulder, um, but yeah, keep you know keep an eye out for that. Uh, rumors began swirling immediately that Mark Andre Fleury might be a trade option to make a triumphant return to Vegas. Uh, David Schoen reported that Kelly McCrinnon came out and shot down the rumor. Uh, he said, GM Kelly McCrinnon on a potential Mark Andre Fleury reunion. There is absolutely no credence to that rumor at all. I wouldn't normally speak officially on such things, but there will be so much racket about this. It's important to let people know that it's not going to happen. Uh, that seems like a pretty strong condemnation of this possibility. But at the same time, we've seen general managers declare things like uh, Tuka Rask will not be retiring and Dominique Ducharme will coach the remainder of the season. Uh, and those were, you know, proven to be false in pretty short order. Uh, we know Flurry likes the area and has ties in Vegas. But, you know, we also have to keep in mind this was a guy who has pride and he was pretty unceremoniously dumped for a bag of pucks during the offseason. If this were to happen... Uh, obviously Vegas could sort of double Kucherov here. It would only be possible with Leonard moving to long-term injured reserve until the playoffs and taking his cap hit with him. Uh, but you could potentially see a scenario where Vegas one-ups the lightning from last year in terms of, uh, infuriating fans of other teams, uh, and bring Leonard and Stone back come playoff time if they are healthy and ready to go. Yeah. I think though that that's, I don't know. I think that we we talked about what Vegas or what might happen with Flurry last week, and I feel like now we're getting into like the tinfoil hat level of of speculation, uh, just because it doesn't seem to be. It's a lot to guess, and it, and honestly, we still don't even know if we're looking at a long term injury for Laner. So I'm uh, I'm not really getting too ahead of myself thinking that way. And honestly, instead, I'm thinking about the short term. I'm thinking about. Laurent Brassois and whether or not he's going to get several starts here, whether or not he gets a little a little run as the starter in Vegas. I think that he is kind of the story of of, you know, beyond Robin Lehner, who obviously many people roster in their fantasy leagues and and it's a bummer if he misses strong time or a long time, but there is a potential that a starting goaltender, you know, at least in the short term, potentially medium or long term, is on your waiver wire right now. And um, you could get him to stream in a goalie for a Wednesday night game. And by the end of the weekend, he could be a starter. Uh, and that, to me, is a really interesting opportunity. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, you've got Brassois, who's had pretty decent rates and in, in a pretty limited sample size here. 
Um, and I don't know that he's necessarily the person that the Knights want to lean on come playoff time if this injury to Laner is persistent. But I think you're absolutely right. Certainly worth exploring uh, his availability and seeing if you can't string together at least a couple of starts while uh, the Knights try to get their ducks in a row in their crease. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's definitely a, a good opportunity, a good risk to take. And, you know, especially if you're just plucking them off the waiver wire, uh, very little investment for possibly a great return. I'd also add to Lewis that like didn't the, it wasn't McCrimmon, but I believe it was George McPhee who went on the record and was like, we'll never trade Marc-Andre Fleury um, very shortly before they traded Marc-Andre Fleury. So like I, I appreciate McCrimmon like uh, saying like, let me be candid or whatever, but <laughs> it's hard to trust a single word that comes out of any front office manager's mouth. Uh, right. There's the whole game within the game. Yeah. We're coming up on the trade deadline. No one wants to show their cards. I, I think it's it's absolutely wise to sort of uh, just be patient and take everything that is said with a pretty enormous grain of salt. All right, but enough about GMs. Let's talk about some real players here. And we have another injury to discuss, and that is uh, to Thomas Shabbat. Uh, he left Sunday's game following a hit from Tom Wilson. Uh, Eric Brandstrom is now on the top power play in Ottawa. Of you know, of course, we've mentioned Ottawa's good schedule about a hundred times over the past week. So let's make it a hundred and one. Any interest in Eric Brandstrom if he gets a little run? Q being the top power play, should we look for Ottawa to sign you know a hundred beat 'em up players over the off season because of the Tom Wilson effect? What was the fallout from this Shabbat injury? I think this is a lot closer to like when we talked about Oliver Ekman Larson last week as a guy who might be worth streaming while Jack or while Quinn Hughes was out. Um, Eric Brandstrom, you know, got in on a power play goal today. Uh, maybe just somebody who you can in the short term while he, uh, while he has some space on that, that top power play might be worth holding on to, but definitely wouldn't get cued and hold on to him hoping for some kind of breakout or anything. It, it, it's a short term stream if you need some defensive help. Sure. And, you know, with the volume you're going to get from him, at least I think that, uh, makes him fairly appealing. So, uh, that at least could be something that you can you can cross your fingers for that he'll you know get in on some of these bounces on the power play and obviously we know Ottawa's playing a ton for the remainder of the season so uh, might be might be worth grabbing just for that reason. All right, Lewis, let's hop into the streak section and finish up tonight's show. Um, I wanted to talk about Matt Boldy, a guy. Bec- I think he's basically taking over the fantasy hockey sphere this week after a three goal one assist performance on Monday night. Um, had gone slightly cold uh, towards the end of last week. I think two games without a point and just an assist in the game before that. I think for a lot of a lot of folks, just like ah, I guess you know the magic's done or whatever. Um, I was seeing him getting dropped in leagues. I was able to grab him in a, a keeper league, and then on Monday night he explodes. Six shots in that game, uh, three power play points uh, in that four uh, among the four points that he picked up. Obviously, it doesn't hurt going up against a slumping Nedeljkovic in Detroit. Uh, Nedeljkovic has actually given up three or more goals in six of his last seven games, which I guess is a cold streak for another time. But for now, Boldy's up to 14 points through 13 games. Obviously, clicking with Kevin Fiala at even strength and the Kaprizov-led top power play unit, uh, the hype was starting to build already for uh, for Boldy. But now it's exploding. So I got to ask Lewis, like rest of season, do you think that Matt Boldy can 
pace for around the Lucas Raymond 65 point pace or does he come down from the point per game pace that he's on now does he come down further than Lucas Raymond where do you see him landing I mean I don't see any particular reason why he should fall below too far below anyway Raymond's 65 point pace I really like his line mates you know Raymond has some decent line mates too but that's kind of all he's got in Detroit they're scoring up and down the line uh in uh, Minnesota, they certainly have shown that they can pour it on, maybe not quite at a Florida level, but certainly, um, you know, have been, have been scoring in, in bunches that they really haven't been able to do lately. It's what made Zuccarello such an interesting player. It's what has, you know, made Hartman worth rostering. You know, it's just interesting to see, you know, this, how, how much this sort of ripple effect has impacted Minnesota. Um, I think he's got, access to, to a really good power play better than what Raymond has. I think with, uh, you know, certainly Kevin Fiala has been so streaky. I don't think we're going to see him keep his performance up necessarily. He's bound to hit a cold stretch here sooner or later that will drag boldly down. But I, I like him to at least grab that 65 point pace that Raymond has simply on the strength of uh, the other players that he's got around him. Uh, and the fact that, you know, uh, and opposing teams can't load up against his line either because the scoring is a little more spread out. So, yeah, I think that that 65 point pace might be uh, just about where he winds up once he he cools down from this enormous heater he's been on. So you think that Kevin Fiala will drag Matt Boldy down? <laughs> well, I'm just saying, no, I'm not trying to say that, that Fiala is going to drag down Boldy. I'm just saying that the two of them together have been making beautiful music together. And, uh, you know, I think it is probably above and beyond what we can expect from them for the remainder of the season. Uh, I think that, you know, one or both of them are going to slow down here and, you know, that will have uh, a ripple effect on the other. Um, not trying to suggest that, that Fiala is, is an anchor around Boldy's ankles right. by yeah. any, any, any you. means. Yeah. I mean, the, the one thing I think that's worth sort of mentioning is that Matt Boldy does have, uh, Six of his points are on the power play. Um, he's shooting 20% on the season. Like there are reasons to be skeptical of the current pace. It's just hard when the sample is this small to know whether that's, you know, is he going to be a 55 to 60 point guy or is he going to be a 65 to 70 point guy? I think the jury is still out on that. So definitely, again, not trying to, I, I'm with you. I'm not trying to um, to minimize what he's capable of or to suggest that he's going to fall off completely. But I don't expect the 80 point pace that we're seeing at this moment. Uh, Lewis, why don't you take us to our last streaky player of the night? And it's a guy who I know that uh, I know, you know, this guy is uh, one of my faves, one of my longtime faves. Definitely. And also one that we probably made a bit of a mistake on declaring him to be washed earlier on in the season. Seems like that's been going around a little bit. I want to talk about Jeff Skinner, who is at it again, uh, putting together another hot streak for the Sabres with seven points in his last four games and an overall 60 point pace for the season, which seems pretty, pretty nice considering where he was uh, last year. And even that was was with Jack Eichel from time to time. Um, but really, this is all just burying the lead because the real story is his four goal, one assist night against Montreal. Uh, we should obviously apply our Habs caveats, but, you know, we're talking about a Sabres forward as well. So I think you need to adjust your impressed, unimpressed slider bar accordingly. 
Right now, Skinner is seeing deployment with Thompson and Tuck, which is the line to be on in Buffalo. And, you know, obviously you can't expect five points a night or even five points over the course of five games. But, you know, he's doing what you want to see Jeff Skinner do, which is shooting consistently. He's got three or more shots in 10 of the last 13 games. He's not being buried down the lineup anymore. Uh, five, of, uh, sorry, in four of those games, he's had five shots or more. There's not a whole lot of line one, power play one, 60-point pacing players with 40 gold seasons on their resumes hanging around at 27% rostered on Yahoo. Uh, So while he has not gotten in on the action here on Tuesday night, he is a guy who might be worth a look, especially as the Sabres have three more games this week. So you'll have time to grab him and get uh, hopefully some production from him as he skates along on that line with Thompson and Took. Speak for yourself with the uh, the Jeff Skinner slander. I've always been a believer. Um, Lewis, I appreciate uh, your time tonight, and I appreciate everyone for sticking with us. And, uh, you know, we went on a bit of a medium to long shift, as we often do following a big trade. But uh, I had a great time chatting with you, and I look forward to getting back in the booth on Thursday. Yeah, a pleasure as always. And thanks everyone who downloaded the show and joined us. Please make sure you're subscribing so you can get these episodes every time they show up. Uh, give us a follow at ShortShiftsKK on Twitter as well. You can find Brian and Elon at Keeping Carlson, Dave Benton of the Stream Scheme at NHL Stream Scheme. And I recommend you follow at Game Day Lines, at Game Day Goalies, and at Game Day News for all of your breaking information. Please visit the great sites we research our episodes with at Yahoo, Frozen Tools, and Natural Stat Trick. Our intro and outro music was created by Pat Roach. And until we see you next time, play smart and keep your shifts short.